Good morning, Hope Church. And how is everyone doing today? Everybody good? Good, good. You guys have a good week? Good week, good. You have a good time on Wednesday? Wednesday, big day, right? Everybody know what Wednesday was, right? It was National Chicken Waffles Day. Yeah, so I hope you had a chance to get some chicken and waffles. Um, That's good stuff, by the way. Sweet and savory, good stuff. But I'm glad to be back with you today, and um, I'm excited because this week we continue in our series of messages, Made for Mission. And in this series, we've been looking at our calling. We've been looking at what God has created us for. And if you were with us in the beginning, and even if you weren't, we're going to kind of review a little bit. In week one, we learned that we are all called. We are all called. Jesus called his disciples, and he calls us the same way. He says, what? Follow me, right? We are called to mission with Jesus. In week two, we came to understand more about what our mission actually is. We spent some time digging into the question, what is my mission? And we learned that our mission, our mission is Jesus' mission. We are called to continue the work that Jesus began. And we're going to learn a little bit more about what that looks like today. But that's why we're here, to continue his work. Now, a couple weeks ago, we tackled the question, what's my message? Okay, I'm on mission, I get it, right? But, but how do I act, and what do I say? And we came to the conclusion that our job is to simply share the way that God has worked in each one of our lives. We all have a story of God's grace and His blessing in our lives, and it's our job to share that with others. Now, last week... We took a little break from our series of messages, but you know, the the message that Pastor Zorhoff shared, it really fits in very nicely with what we're talking about today. See, he helped us to see that the work that we do, right, our vocations are actually a very large part of our calling. We're called to mission for Jesus, so our, our vocations are a large part of our mission, I love the way Pastor Zarhoff put it, right? If you remember, he said, we are missionaries, right? We are missionaries. We're on mission. We're missionaries disguised as employees. You're a missionary disguised as a business person. You're a missionary disguised as a banker. You're a missionary disguised as a homemaker, And quite honestly, this sort of leads us very nicely into our topic for today. Because today, we're going to ask the question, who is my mission? Okay, I get it, right? I mean, I'm on mission. I'm on mission to share my story of how God has worked in my life. Who exactly am I supposed to share all of this with? Now, much of our discussion has been framed in light of 
the Hope Church mission statement. And that makes sense, right? So just to review what is, ah, see, I see heads going like this. Which side is it on? I know it's up here somewhere. And then there's the, there's the ones that are doing the more, you know, subtle. No, I know it. Yeah, no, oh, there it is. So what is our mission statement? Our mission is to honor God by what? Loving our neighbors, sharing the gospel, and caring for each other. So when we ask the question, who is my mission? We can sort of deduce from our mission statement who that might be. Any guesses on who that might be? Okay, you're a little ahead of me, but it's our neighbor, right? Right? That's what it says. We are called to honor God by loving and sharing the gospel with our neighbors. But you know, that begs the question then, who is my neighbor? Is it, is it just the people that I live near? Is it just my friends at church? Is it just my coworkers like Pastor Zorhoff talked about last week? Those are important. Don't get me wrong, but we're going to take some time and we're going to dig into this question, who is my neighbor, and thereby answer the question, who is my mission? Now, it's interesting that Jesus was asked that very question, that very question, who is my neighbor? He was asked that question in Luke chapter uh, chapter 10. So if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, That's where we're going to kind of live today. And the story that we're going to look at is found in in verses 25 to 37. So let's kind of dig into this and see how Jesus answers this question. We're also going to learn a few other things that we can apply to our lives along the way. Now, as a bit of context, and this is kind of important, because at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus sends out his 72 disciples, right? He sends the 72 out on mission. Does that sound familiar? Have we been sent out on mission? We have. And has God given us instructions? Has Jesus given instructions? Because he instructed the 72 to go out and proclaim the gospel. And that's what they did. And we see in verse 17 that the 72 returned, having completed their mission... And it says they were joy-filled. They were filled with joy. Why were they so happy? They saw the Holy Spirit working in them as they shared the gospel and as they healed people and as as they cast out demons. And friends, it is that same Holy Spirit that lives in us. You guys realize that, right? It's the same Spirit. And then Jesus, when he sees this, Jesus rejoices. He rejoices because he is seeing the Father's will done through his disciples. You believe that Jesus rejoices when we are on mission and we complete our mission or work towards our mission? You better believe he does. He rejoices. He rejoices. That's one of the reasons that we do what we do. And then we read about this interesting encounter that Jesus has with this expert in the Jewish law. A lot of translations call him a lawyer. Starting at verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law, that's obviously the lawyer, 
stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this expert in the Mosaic law, he he asked Jesus what seems to really be a pretty reasonable question, right? But when we look at the text and we see this word test here, it says he wants to test Jesus. We might think that maybe this is one of those kind of gotcha moments, you know. Jewish leaders were always trying to, trying to catch Jesus in something. It was, a, it was a gotcha thing, right? But you know, the Greek word that Luke uses here is, is a Greek word that's not necessarily mean or evil. So this was more than likely a sincere question from a sincere seeker. And, and let's face it, it is a good question, right? It's a question that was asked of Jesus a number of times while he walked the earth. It's a question for the ages. It's a question that we must answer today, right? How do we inherit eternal life? Well, let's see how Jesus answers this. Well, he answers with a question, you know? Jesus loved to ask questions. And questions are good, right? Questions make us think. Verse 26, Jesus asked the man, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And Jesus is saying, you're the expert. You know, you're the one that spends your life studying the law. What does it say? And by asking this, what Jesus does is he steers the debate towards Scripture. He steers it toward the foundation of the Jewish life. And the foundation of our life as well, right? Scripture is our foundation. Sola Scriptura. So Jesus asked the man, what's written? How do you read it? What does the Jewish man, or what does the uh, lawyer say? Well, he must know Scripture because in verse 27, he answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So the man here is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. And it's interesting because this Deuteronomy passage is part of what is known as the Shema. The Shema. And this is something that Jewish men and obviously this man would have done, they recite it twice a day. Twice a day. So it's no wonder this just kind of popped into his mind. And Jesus himself quoted this in Matthew 22. He was asked, what are the two greatest commands? And what did he say? Very simply, what? Love God, love others, right? And Jesus went on to say in Matthew 22 that all the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. Those two commands are a big deal. So the man knows his scripture, and Jesus affirms this in verse 28, right? Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And really what Jesus is saying here is, if you follow the law perfectly, you will inherit eternal life. But there's two problems here. Two very big problems. The first is, can we love God perfectly? 
you know, with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength and with all of our mind, is it possible to say that we are wholly devoted to God and that there's no corner of our lives that, that we don't give fully to Him? Can anyone honestly say that? Clearly not. It's impossible to love God according to the law. The second question is, can we love our neighbors perfectly like the law describes? Can we do that? Do we have the same care and concern for others as we do for ourselves? Because that's honestly what Jesus calls us to, right? He calls us to elevate the concern for others to the same level that we have for our own welfare. Can we do that perfectly? No. No. And, and the man that was debating Jesus, I think he recognized that to a certain degree as well because we read in verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the man is, is measuring himself against these two commands. And it seems that he feels as though he's kind of doing okay with the first one. And, and he, he, he probably does love God, albeit imperfectly, right? But keeping the second, love your neighbor as yourself, that really depended on how one defines your neighbor. And really what the, what the man is asking here is, who do I have to love? That's what he's asking. In essence, he's saying, Jesus, define these boundaries for me so I know who I have to love. But he's also asking, who do I not have to love? The man really wanted a very narrow definition, a neighbor. Because if it was defined very narrowly, like if it just included our friends and if it just included people that we know that are easy to love, you know, then maybe the man fulfilled the command. Albeit, again, in an imperfect way. See, the Jews of Jesus' day, including, obviously, this lawyer here, they knew that they had to love their neighbor. It was commanded, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6. But it was also taught that it was their duty before God to hate their enemies. So how is Jesus going to respond to that question, who's my neighbor? You know, he could have, he could have answered very simply, right? He could have just blurted it out. But Jesus doesn't do that. See, he has something that he wants to teach this man. And he had something he wanted to teach his disciples and the audience. And he has something that he wants to teach us here today as well. So Jesus responds by telling a story. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. You may know it, you may not know it doesn't matter. It begins at verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So this stretch of road that Jesus is describing here from, from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho this is, this is a well-known road to his audience of that day. 
And, and this, this particular road kind of wound its way through some really rocky terrain, and there were a lot of places where, where robbers could, could hide and then ambush people as they went along this road. Very dangerous place. As a matter of fact, most people would travel in packs, in caravans. But not this guy. He's going it alone. He's out there by himself. And he pays the price for that because he's beaten and he's robbed and he's left for dead. Story goes on in verse 31 and 32. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Jesus introduces two more characters into this story here, right? The priest and the Levite, both of whom are officials in the church. Now, why do you suppose that Jesus would use two leaders in the church as an illustration here? I mean, what would we expect from the priest and the Levite? Would we expect them to be caring? Would we expect compassion? Would we expect them to stop and help? Yeah. But they don't. They pass by on the other side. They can't be bothered. And Jesus doesn't really give us any insight into why they didn't stop. And we could imagine the excuses, right? You know, I'm in a hurry. I got to get to temple. I don't want to be late. Uh, you know what? That over there, that could be an ambush. That could be another trap. It's too dangerous out here. I, I, I can't stop. I need to get home to my family. I can't get my robes all dirty. I mean, come on. And I don't know CPR. I don't know first aid. What am I going to do? I'm just one person. Someone should, someone should help that guy. I'll pray for him. You ever found yourself using an excuse like that to pass by on the other side? Oh, maybe not literally pass by on the other side, but figuratively pass by on the other side. But Jesus continues in verse 33. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, this is very typical for storytelling of that time. See, there would be a series of three, and then the third would break the pattern of the first two. And the pattern that we saw from the first two is the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side. But, but Jesus uses a Samaritan, a Samaritan in this situation. This is outrageous. I mean, Jews hated Samaritans. They were considered half-breeds. You know, Samaritans were the result of, of intermarriages with pagans. They were defiled. But Jesus uses the Samaritan in this story. And here's the Samaritan. And the Samaritan is traveling through Jewish territory, knowing, knowing that if it were him that was beaten and robbed... No one was going to come to his rescue. He's a Samaritan. 
But what does he do? And this is where we get to the point where I, I want us to look at three things, three things, three actions that we saw from the Samaritan that we can apply and use in our own lives, okay? The first action is this, he saw the man. He saw him. He didn't look away. You know, he didn't avert his eyes. And he didn't see this wounded man as, as some sort of a hopeless situation or as someone that probably hated him and that he should hate. He didn't see him like that. He saw a human being in need. And that leads us to the second action. Second action, Jesus says the Samaritan took pity on the wounded man. I prefer the English Standard Version here because it says he had compassion. He had compassion. And this this Greek phrase here says that the man was moved to the very core of his emotional being. This is a feeling of the heart. Compassion. And in verses 34 and 35, we see the third action. He did something about it. The man saw. It moved him. He had compassion. And he acted. Verse 34 says, He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So, so, so rather than pass by on the other side, like the priest and the Levite did, the Samaritan chose to act. He stopped. He stopped and he cared for the man. Really what he did is he loved him. And he loved him sacrificially. He gave freely of his time and his resources. He didn't wait to be asked. He recognized the need that was right in front of him and it moved him to action. You know, he could have given the same excuses that the Levite and the priest did, right? He could have said, you know what, I am, I am just too busy. I, I, I got to get home, I got to get to work, whatever. He could have said that. And again, how often do we see need right in front of our eyes, yet we choose to pass by on the other side? And maybe use one of those very excuses. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. I realize that we are all busy. We all got a lot going on. You know, Pastor Zorhoff talked about that last week, how, you know, sometimes we measure our worth by how busy we are. I am so busy. I'm busy, busy, busy. Got a lot going on. But that's not the heart of Jesus. That's not the heart of God. And Jesus drives his point home in verses 36 and 37 where he asks, which of these three 
do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus turns the debate back to the man who asked the original question, and he does that again with a question. Now, according to the traditions of the day, the priest and the Levite would have been true neighbors to this man, right? But they sure didn't act like it. But you know, the expert in the law knew who the true neighbor was. The one who had shown mercy. The one who had shown love. You know, he probably couldn't even get himself to say, okay, the Samaritan. Samaritan was supposed to be the enemy. But he was the one that showed mercy. The Samaritan proved to be the true neighbor. And you know, in the end, Jesus allows the parable to answer the man's questions, but it also illustrates the application. Jesus tells him to go and do likewise. Do like the Samaritan did. So, did Jesus answer the man's question? Did he make it clear who our neighbor is? And and answer our question for today, who is my mission? Did he answer that question? Absolutely, he did. And he gave us so much more. He gave us so much more. See, Jesus answered two questions here. Not only did he teach us who our neighbor is, and who is our neighbor? Anyone? You said it before. Everyone, right? Everyone is our neighbor. Every person that God puts in your life is your neighbor. Every family member, every friend, every coworker, every chance encounter, all placed there by God's grand design. Your neighbor, friends, is the person right in front of you at any given moment, whether you know them or not. That's who our mission is. And the equally important bonus question that Jesus answers is how to be a neighbor. And this takes us, really, friends, to the very heart of Jesus. It takes us to the heart of God. See, what we see in the Samaritan is exactly what we see in Jesus. Jesus didn't pass by on the other side when he saw a need. No, in fact, he went out of his way to find need. Remember, he crossed all the way over the Sea of Galilee for a man who was demon-possessed. He went out of his way to travel to the well and spoke to the woman at the well. Friends, Jesus does not pass by on the other side. And... He was moved to compassion. Jesus was always moved to compassion. So many times in the New Testament we read that Jesus saw the people and he had compassion on them. And then he acted. He did something about it.
So who do you identify with in this story? You know, maybe you feel like the man on the road who was beaten and robbed and would love for some good Samaritan to come to your aid. Well, friend, maybe you can find that right here at Hope Church. Because, friends, we love our neighbors. We love you. That's our mission. Now, you might identify with the Samaritan. And that'd be a good thing. And sometimes I do feel that way. But very often I find myself identifying with the priest and the Levite. You know, you try to do the right thing, but you find yourself passing by on the other side. And friends, I, I, I know that this can be hard. I get it. It is hard. But this is how we shine the light of God's love to others. God's heart, friend, is for everyone. God loves everyone, all of our neighbors, and he commands us to love them as well. What we need is more of God's heart. We need to be more like Jesus. With the heart of Jesus, we can see the need in front of us. We'll be moved to compassion and we will act. Can you imagine what this area would be like if we all lived into this? This world would be a different place. Friends, our mission is everyone. And with the heart of God, we can change the world. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and, and praise you for who you are. We thank you so much for all of the blessings that you pour out. Lord, we thank you that you have sent us out on mission. And we are on mission, Lord. And our mission is for everyone. And I just pray that we would be a people that would love our neighbors and pray that you would pour out your spirit and that you would give us more of your heart, Lord, that we might be more like you that we might see the need in front of us, that we might be moved with compassion, and that we might act in a way that shines your love to others. Father, hear our prayer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.